Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR, tailored book recommendations that are now available as a gift for the holiday season. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for? Or are you running out of time to shop at all? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes, which you can schedule to show up in your loved one's inbox on whatever day you like. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll compile a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 92, and we are recording on Tuesday, December 15th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. Um, shall we tell our listeners the sad news? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to <laughs> kick it off like that. Yeah, I mean, I, we have to, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess we don't have to, and we can just let them all be surprised, but we won't do that. Um, this is my last episode of Red or Dead. Oh, I know. so sad. I'm really sad. Um, I have to like step down from my like book riot responsibilities because, you know, too many things on my plate need to remove a couple of things. And unfortunately, this has to be one of them, which is very, very unfortunate. Yeah. But the good news is that Red or Dead is not leaving with Rincey. We are still going to keep going. We are going to have our new co-hosts start in January of next year. And if you listen to our last episode, Nezra Javid is going to be stepping into Rincey's spot as my regular co-host. And so this is this is very bittersweet. It's exciting to have someone new working on the podcast, and Nezra is just a fountain of knowledge about books in general. Like when we were recording our last episode, I was sitting here like almost taking notes because all of the co- the connections and the read-alike she was making for the different book suggestions she was talking about were just so on point. And I know she's going to be a really awesome co-host, but of course I am going to be so sad <laughs> to not to not have you on here anymore, Rincey. <laughs> I know. I'm really sad that not uh, have an excuse to talk to you every two weeks anymore. Oh, you can always text me. <laughs> that is exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was like, it's not like we can never talk to each other again. Uh, but, you know, this is a nice, you know, hand, handily uh, scheduled way to make that happen. Uh, but I'm also kind of excited to, like, listen to the podcast myself because, like, to be honest, I never listen to our episodes unless it's an episode where I'm, like, on vacation or something like that. Um, so it'll be kind of fun to be a fan of the podcast. <laughs> you can send us show suggestions. That is true. Oh my gosh, that would be so funny. <laughs> no, I won't make you do that because that sounds a little bit like trying to get you to work for free. But no, I know you you may not be in the co-host chair, but I know you will you will of course be a a supporter of Red or Dead and yeah, like I said, we will the the show is entering a a new phase and it's also so unfortunate that you're just missing our 100th episode. I have no idea what we would have planned for 100th episode or yeah. what we're going to plan for our 100th episode now, but sad that that unfortunately is just a little a little short, but you know, it's 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 been an awesome few years and now we're we're going to we're going to break on through to a new to a new chapter, so to speak. 
Yeah. And I feel like uh, this episode is kind of also a nice way to wrap things up too. So I'm kind of excited to, uh, yeah, just see what you guys end up doing with the podcast. So. Oh, all right. Well, let's, let's, before we get too mushy and I start making myself emotional, why don't you give us our first sponsor? (laughs) All right. So this podcast is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Ink by Jonathan Mayberry. Tattoo artist Patty Cakes has her dead daughter's face tattooed on the back of her hand. Day by day, it starts to fade, taking with it all of Patty's memories of her daughter. All she's left with is certain knowledge she has forgotten her lost child. The awareness of that loss is tearing her apart. Monk Addison is a private investigator whose skin is covered with the tattooed faces of murdered victims. He is a predator who hunts for killers and the ghosts of all those dead people haunt his life. Some of those faces have begun to fade too, destroying the very souls of the dead. All through the town of Pine Deep, people are having their most precious memories stolen. The monster seems to target the lonely, the disenfranchised, the people who need memories to anchor them to this world. Something is out there. Something cruel and evil is feeding on these memories, erasing them from the hearts and minds of people like Patty and Monk and others. So this is a new standalone supernatural thriller from New York Times bestselling author Jonathan Mayberry, which is about a memory thief who feeds on the most precious of dreams. It features a few lonely, damaged people hunting for this memory thief, because when all you have are memories, there is no greater horror than forgetting. The audiobook itself is read by fan favorite Ray Porter. So this sounds like a really fun book to uh, check out if you are looking for a new audiobook. It sounds like something that would be like super engaging and world building and something you can dive right into. So if you are interested in checking that out, you can buy the audiobook edition of Ink by Jonathan Mayberry now wherever audiobooks are sold. And we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. All right. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. As always, we are so delighted to have people regularly putting us in their ear holes every two weeks. So if you've listened to the show before, you know that we talk about mystery, suspense, thrillers, true crime, movie adaptations, subgenres, author read-alikes, anything that falls under that mystery suspense umbrella is fair game for us to talk about on this show. And this is the part of the show where we also put out a call to our listeners for suggestions for upcoming episodes, because they have really, really helped us plan so many so many of these episodes over the last three and a half years, because we want to know what you all want to hear us talk about. And it's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons and discover new subgenres and new authors that we may not have otherwise discovered before. And it's just really fun seeing what other listeners are interested in hearing about. So if you have any ideas for future episode topics, you can shoot us an email, you can hit us up on social media, we'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show. But we always put out the call ahead of time to get those juices flowing, get those brains working. And if you have an idea, you can let you can hit us up. And even if you don't have an idea or just want to say hi, we also very much enjoy that as well. With that, there hasn't been a ton of news, and with our with our episode this week, we didn't want to get too in-depth with new stuff, but then, of course, there was something major that happened in the world of mysteries and suspense, and we're like, okay, no, we have to mention this on this episode, so go, why don't you go ahead and give, give us that, that sad little bit of news, Rincey. Yeah, it came out this weekend that John LeCrae has actually passed away. He died on this past Saturday um, in Cornwall, England at the age of 89, and they say that the cause was pneumonia. I don't think I need to really give too much information, but if the name is like ringing a bell and for some reason you can't place it, he is the author of the bestselling novel, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, and he's basically credited with really turning spy novels on its head, uh, or at least English spy novels, I should say, on its head. His focus primarily on like Soviet basic ideas. And before John Lecrae, the closest like main big spy uh, novel writer was Ian Fleming and the James Bond series. And so obviously, um, the James Bond series featured this like, suave, urban, you know, really you know, gets with a bunch of women sort of spy, you know, and uses like his like 
I can't think of the word, but like basically his like personality to like get out of trouble and things like that. Um, and made like the whole spy genre seem like really glamorous. Uh, and basically John LeCrae's novels, you know, turned that around and basically made it seem like the spy world is a lot more ambiguous and a lot more gray um, in terms of like the right and wrong decisions to make and things along those lines. And, you know, like his most well-known character is George Smiley. Many of the characters that he wrote about were like lonely, disillusioned a little bit, you know, in a lot of really tough situations, a lot more realistic, uh, basically, characters. And so, yeah, I, John LeCrae led a really fantastic career and his novels are known around the world. So, you know, we uh, wish his family the best as they mourn his death. And, you know, John LeCrae really changed uh, spy novels for everyone. So um, yeah, very sad to see that he has passed away. Yeah, and I, th- I, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think he just had a new book come out like this year. Within the last year, I, I remember ordering a, a new John Le Carre book for the library recently. So I mean, he was writing up till the very end. He also is the author of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is another one of his really, really famous novels. But yeah, he was such he's such a huge figure in the world of espionage thrillers that I mean, even I don't read espionage thrillers and even I was like, oh my god, John Le Carre died. Holy crap. <laughs> so we definitely wanted to make sure that we that we mentioned that on this episode. Just a very, very notable news item. And with that, like I said, we're we're keeping the news section short because this is the last podcast episode that is going to be released this year in this unholy year of 2020. <laughs> and this is because of Book Riot's um, holiday schedule, where in two weeks, Book Riot's going to be closed down for the week between Christmas and New Year's. So normally we'd have an episode coming out that week, but with the holiday closure, we will be skipping over that. So this is our last opportunity to talk about the best books that we read in 2020. And may I just say, I even though I I did read some really some really excellent books, I never want to experience another reading year like this again. This was a really rough reading year. <laughs> I read next to nothing. And well, I mean, next to nothing is probably still more than other people read. But for me, it was it was kind of depressing at how difficult it was for me to read during this, oh, this terrible year. Um, so I'm glad to talk about some of the highlights that we each read. And I'm really hoping to move past that and do better in 2021. I mean, luckily, there are a lot of really great books that are coming out next year. So, you know, hopefully that'll help. (laughs) Yes. And we will be talking about some of the upcoming new releases in January. So make sure to be be prepped for for that because we'll be talking about some of some of the awesome books coming out. But Rincey, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Because I think your first pick actually came out like in January or February of 2020. So that feels like eons ago. And I barely remember what the book is about. So yeah, uh, the book, the first book that I'm going to talk about today is Long Bright River by Liz Moore. And this one, like Katie said, came out eons ago, January 7th of 2020. (laughs) Oh my gosh, was that even a date? Did we even like... Yeah, we experienced it at some point, but who knows when. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's actually kind of nice doing these 2020 wrap ups just because like, I feel like there are a lot of books like this one that came out in January and were really good, but people forgot about them because, you know, the world. And uh, so I feel like this is a really great opportunity to kind of give this one another boost, because I really enjoyed this a lot. Uh, So Long Bright River follows these two sisters named Mickey and Casey. It takes place in Philadelphia. They grew up relatively close, but then at some point, Mickey and Casey uh, become basically estranged sisters. Mickey ends up becoming a police officer and Casey uh, becomes addicted to drugs and lives on the streets and, you know, sometimes sells her body for sex and things along those lines. But and so like, Mickey knows that like Casey's in these certain areas, but and so she doesn't like, 
they don't talk anymore because Mickey's now a cop and things along those lines. But Mickey's still like very aware of where Casey is and tries to like check up on her and, you know, like check up on people who she knows she talks to and stuff like that just to make sure she's doing relatively okay. Uh, But then one day Casey disappears and she disappears around the same time that a bunch of murders start happening in this area that Mickey enforces or like, you know, watches over. And so Mickey ends up becoming like really, really obsessed with finding out who the killer is because she's also really, really concerned that Casey's one of the victims. And so the book is really, really expertly told. This is one of those mystery books that kind of toes the line between mystery and literary fiction or contemporary fiction. But it definitely has like this very strong mystery element to it, obviously. But the book is broken up into basically two parts where you see like past Mickey and present Mickey. And so past Mickey is obviously talking about all of the stuff that happened in their family during their childhood and adolescence that led them to where they are today. It's a really, really beautiful story. I really love the way Liz Moore writes. Liz Moore wrote another book, The Unseen World, which is like one of my all-time favorite books, which is a book that has like a slight mystery element to it, but it's definitely more like contemporary fiction. But it's a really fantastic story about family and siblings and these sort of like broken relationships, but you still like really, really love this person. It's a really emotional story. It's also a really great story about addiction and kind of like what happens to these people who fall between the cracks in these major cities and things along those lines. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it a lot. And I feel like, again, a lot of people didn't necessarily pick this one up or it kind of fell off the radar a little bit, kind of like when, you know, the world exploded. And yeah, if you are interested in mysteries that have sort of like this really strong familial tie to it, I definitely think this is worth picking up. It was beautiful. And I it was one of those books where I distinctly remember this because I think I talked about this when I originally read the book. Uh, But basically, like I got so engrossed in the story that I sat in my chair for I think like two to three hours straight, like without moving except to turn the pages. And my Fitbit thought I fell asleep because (laughs) I stopped moving. Um, like that's how engrossed I got into this story. So like Liz Moore is such a fantastic writer. She's one of those authors that I think deserves so much more attention. And I'm like, very excited to always like sing her praises because she does such an amazing job creating characters and creating these really complex, beautiful, sometimes slightly morally gray, but these characters that you really, really care about. So again, that book is called Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Yeah, I remember I remember you talking about the book when we were talking about our most anticipated books for 2020. I remember you were really excited about that. And yeah, like I said, it just feels like eons ago. <laughs> and so with my first pick, mine is also one that came my first pick is one that came out towards the beginning of the year pre-pandemic. And I remember when we were doing our most anticipated books of 2020, I was so excited because there were like four novels coming out within the span of like two or three weeks in February that were all in translation by Asian authors. And I was just so excited because they all sounded so dark and complex. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive into these. And then the pandemic hit and I had like all of them checked out. Like I kept getting new book orders from the library, the books that I had ordered. I was like, oh yeah, I want to read this one. I'm putting it on hold for me. I wanted to read this one. I'm putting it on hold for me. And so I ended up taking all of these books home and then the pandemic hit and sapped all of my will to read. And I only ended up reading one of them. So hopefully I can get back to some of those books in 21. But the one that I did read is the one that I wanted to mention for this episode. And that is The Only Child by Mie So, translated by Young Yiwan. And this is a very dark psychological suspense novel that kind of has an element of Silence of the Lambs to it in that the main character, whose name is Hyun Kyung, is a, she's a criminal psychologist, and she receives an unexpected call uh, saying that the serial killer Yi Byung-do wants to be interviewed. And Yi Byung-do has specifically asked for Seong Kyung, and he wants her to interview him. So she agrees out of curiosity. On that same day, which would already be an eventful day in anyone's life, 
her husband's 11-year-old daughter from a previous marriage shows up at their door. Her name is Young, and she shows up after her grandparents, who she was living with, after her grandparents died in a very sudden, mysterious fire. So now she has this on her plate. And Seong Kyung wants Young to feel at home and wants her to feel welcomed, but she becomes kind of unnerved because Young is very quiet, acts strangely, and she isn't quite and Seong Kyung isn't quite sure what to make of her. With this arrival in her house and then her continuing communications with Yi Byung-do, the serial killer, there starts to emerge some dark parallels and it just it just kind of becomes this very dark, complicated, kind of tangled mess. I really enjoyed this book. I love a good psychological suspense novel, especially especially if it involves if it's a like a domestic thriller and especially if it involves a creepy kid. I love a good creepy kid in literature, not in real life. <laughs> but this one was unnerving. It was dark. It was it was very compelling. You really get into the heads of Young and the serial killer Yi Byung-do and it just it really gets some dark insights into some of these minds and how they work. And it's just, it's one of those books that you, that just leaves you very unsettled. And especially, especially with the ending, I will not give away anything about the ending, but the, the ending of the book, I was like, ah, it was, that was an, that was kind of an unnerving ending. If you want something that's wrapped up in a neat little bow, don't read this book. But it was very, very good. And I was really glad that I was able to read this one. I think I finished it like at the very few, the first few weeks of the pandemic. So I'm glad I was able to read this one. I do remember that I I can't always remember trigger warnings, but I do remember that there is a trigger warning for cruelty to animals in this book, which is one of my only major triggers where I won't put down a book if it if it has that but it that's one of my big things that I that gets to me and that I remember. So if animal cruelty is something that is particularly bothersome for you, maybe give this one a pass or just go in with caution. But otherwise, yeah, this was a really this was a really dark thriller that was definitely up my alley. So again, that is called The Only Child by Mie So and translated by Young Giwon. All right, my next pick is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. And this is a book that totally took me by surprise. I feel like I talked about this book a lot when it I first read it. It came out in February of this year. And I think it's just because I was like so surprised by it. I had read Simone St. James before, but I feel like this is by far the strongest book that she has put out, in, at least from what I've read. So this one is part mystery, part horror, but it's definitely like light horror, like kind of ghost story-esque. But I'm someone who got kind of spooked out by it. I don't think everyone necessarily will get spooked out by it, but I definitely did a little bit at certain points. So in this story, you're kind of following like these two timelines. It takes place between the 1980s and today. And you're following Carly in the modern day timeline who decides to go off to the small town, leave college, and to figure out what happened to her aunt Viv, who disappeared back in the 1980s. And so she goes to this small town in upstate New York and ends up getting a job at this motel that her aunt used to work at called the Sundown Motel. Without giving too much away, the story basically goes back and forth between the two timelines to try to figure out what exactly happened back in the 1980s to Carly's aunt. And I will say that like ghosts and things like that definitely take a a play a part in this whole situation. Uh, But I think that there's so much about this book that I liked a lot. Part of it is just like the development of the story over time and kind of like the digging that Carly does in order to figure out exactly what happened, I found to just be like really, really fascinating. And there's like this building suspense that happens over the course of the story as Carly gets closer and closer to the truth. um, And she runs into more and more dangerous situations. 
Some people might consider this kind of a slow burn. I didn't really consider it that much of a slow burn, but I'm also someone who reads like really, really slow books. So I guess your mileage may vary. Like if you're expecting a thriller, I wouldn't necessarily call it a thriller. It definitely is more on the suspense side of things. But I feel like the story was so compelling that again, it's one of those books that really keeps your attention. And I think that Simone St. James does a really great job of like really building this interesting story about this missing woman and like the details that come out about her life and the things that she was doing, um, as well as some of the stuff that happened at the Sundown Motel was really well done, in my opinion. And I, yeah, I was like, turning the pages to try to figure out one, what's going to happen. And at at a certain point in the book, you basically find out the truth, so to speak. But then you realize like, oh, dang, Carly might be in danger. And so that sort of like propels the story even more towards the end. And I, again, just found it to be really, really well done. If you're someone who enjoys ghost stories, um, I definitely recommend picking up this book. If you are someone who is maybe like, not so sure if you like horror books or you think of yourself as a big baby like I do, I still recommend this book a lot because I feel like this does horror in a way that's like bearable, so to speak. I don't know. I I feel like this is a good place to start if you aren't someone who reads a lot of horror books. So again, that book is called The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. Yeah, I really enjoyed that book too. And it is it's very atmospheric. Um it does it does creepy well, but not in an overwhelming sense. Um it's also a really good pick if you are looking for a fiction book with a very true crime feel to it, which I feel like is becoming a very popular motif nowadays because true crime is just exploding even more in popularity. But yeah, if you if you like Yeah, true crime books, true crime investigations, even though this book is fictional, it definitely has a lot of those same sensibilities. So yeah, overall, just a really, really solid, really solid pick. And it it shouldn't give you too many nightmares. All right, before I jump to my second pick, I do have the second sponsor for the episode, which is The Cousins by Karen M. McManus. And this book follows Millie, Aubrey, and Jonah's story, who are cousins, but they barely know each other, and they've never even met their grandmother. Rich and reclusive, she disinherited their parents before the cousins were born, so when they receive letters inviting them to work at her island resort for the summer, they are surprised. Their parents all agree that not going is not an option. This could be the opportunity to get back into Grandma's good graces, but when Millie, Aubrey, and Jonah arrive, it's immediately clear that the family has secrets, and whatever pulled them apart years ago isn't over. And this summer, the cousins will learn everything, if they can survive the season. So The Cousins is the newest must-read mystery from Karen M. McManus, who is the number one best-selling author of the YA suspense book, One of Us is Lying. And this is a really fast-paced book with multiple points of view and plot twists that will have readers guessing until the very last line. And it's just filled to the brim with all kinds of dark family secrets. And like I said before, I love a good suspense novel with family, and I love some good dark family secrets. So this book sounds really, really interesting. And if you agree, make sure to pick up The Cousins by Karen M. McManus. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, moving on to my pick, which may give people some nightmares, is The Return by Rachel Harrison, which I think came out in April of this year, but I didn't get a chance to read until maybe like a month or two ago. This book also straddles the line between suspense and horror, and I think really falls more on the horror side, but it's suspense-ish enough that I'm going to consider it fair game and I'm going to talk about it because I loved this book. Oh my gosh. I just loved it to pieces. So this is, it's a debut novel. And at the beginning of the book, you learn that, well, there's a group of four friends and one of them named Julie has gone missing. There are these, these women are all in like their early to mid twenties and Julie is married and she has a life with her husband. And then all of a sudden she disappears while going on a hike. And she is gone for two years. And her best friend, Elise, even though there's just this dwindling hope that Julia is going to 
come back. She just keeps holding on. She knows Julie better than anyone else, and she still believes that Julie is alive. Two years later, actually two years to the day that Julie went missing, she reappears, Julie reappears at home. She has no memory of where she was, what happened to her, anything like that. She's just back. But it quickly becomes clear to everyone, her husband, her family, her group of friends, that she, there is something very different about Julie. There, there's something very, very unsettling about Julie. And there's this strong feeling that she is not the same person who went on that hike two years ago. And the main part of the story happens over the course of a girls' weekend because the group of friends tries, says, you know what, let's, A, let's celebrate the fact that our best friend has returned, but also B, let's kind of keep an eye on her because I think there might be something wrong, but let's just kind of see how things go. So they plan a girls' weekend at this really quirky boutique hotel in, I think it's like upstate New York or somewhere in in that area. And... This is, it's, this is not a relaxing girls weekend. Let's just put it that way. I will stop the plot description there because I went into this blind, not really knowing any of the details. And as the details are kind of revealed, you're like, oh, oh, ooh, ooh, I don't know about this. And it, it just is such an unsettling read. I mean, even for me, like, I am a very hardened, creepy, disturbing horror, suspense, dark and demented fan. And this book, I read it, I don't think, I don't know if I read it over the course of a single day. I might have. Maximum two days tops. And when I finished reading, it was way past my bedtime. Blaine was still up. And I went into, he was just kind of sitting in in his office, and I went over to him, and I just rested my head on his shoulder, and I just went, that book was really scary! But I forgot that I was right next to his ear, and he was just like, oh my gosh, you were so loud, what did you do that for? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that book was really scary, and it was really unsettling. One one of the things that, funny enough, that I did find especially unsettling about the book is how well the author depicts the dynamics of female friendships in that kind of in when you're in your mid 20s and everyone gets together and you're you know you're doing like a long weekend or you know you're at a hotel with your with your girlfriends and like the dynamic that she picks up on on how some people you know kind of kind of are closer than others and then there's all this second guessing about the relationships and even the dynamic of like hey do you want to go get a drink yeah where should we meet how much have you had to drink oh do you want to get food yeah let's go get food like the way she outlines all of this I'm like I think she got into I think she's been spying on me in from pre-pandemic times and uh, about like how all of my friends and I plan our get-togethers and interact with each other when we are on these types of trips and that was also kind of unset the kind of unsettling but there's also a lot of deeper content in the book about friendships and platonic love and attachment and obsession and being able to let go of stuff and not being able to let go of stuff and it just created this surreal unsettling kind of skin crawlingly stomach churningly just ugh kind of read, but it was so well done and I loved it so much. So this book is not going to be for everyone, but it is very much an excellent read if this is your jam. So if this is your jam, and I really hope it is, this, again, this book is called The Return by Rachel Harrison, and I just loved it to pieces. Okay, my next pick is a book that just recently came out and is a book that I literally just finished today. But I loved it so much. And I was like, I I need to talk about this book. And I need to make sure other people are reading this book. It's called We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. This is a nonfiction book. And this is a book that if you are a fan of true crime stories, and like all of the true crime podcasts that have been popping up lately, you have to pick up this book. So in this story, Becky Cooper is investigating this basically a cold case that ends up getting solved by the time that uh, she finishes writing the book. So you do 
find out the conclusion of everything. But when she first starts off, it's a very cold case. In the 1960s, specifically in 1969, this young woman named Jane Britton, who was this 23-year-old graduate student in Harvard's anthropology department, ends up getting uh, bludgeoned to death in her apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the case goes unsolved until like 2018, I think it was. And so 40 years later, Becky Cooper was actually an undergraduate student at Harvard, and she heard like basically whispers about the story. And in the first version of the story that she ends up hearing, it's about the fact that there was a Harvard student once who had had an affair with a professor, and the professor had murdered her in the Peabody Museum of Archaeology because she threatened to talk about the affair. That obviously is not exactly what happened, but there are basically like elements of that story that she keeps hearing about and the story basically sticks with her and Becky Cooper decides that she is going to try to figure out what actually happened and at least what parts of the story are actually true. What ends up happening over the course of this book is like this really, really deep investigation into all of the players around Jane Britton's life who could have possibly been involved in all of this, including her boyfriend, the supposed professor that she was having an affair with, um, other people in the anthropology department, her neighbors, um, one of which said that they had heard someone like in the apartment or knocking on the door of the apartment or something along those lines, but like people brought that into question because uh, you couldn't really hear a lot of stuff. There was something about the insulation that made it hard to hear noises in the apartment when you were inside the apartment. And people were also like, if you heard someone knocking on the door, why didn't you hear this woman getting murdered? Things along those lines. But it's also a story about the way that these like major institutions like Harvard, and I think you could probably say this about like most universities here in the United States, have this um, control and power over what's stories get out about its professors and the people who go there and how much of a tight hold they have on it. Um, there are rumors about Harvard shutting down the investigation on the, the police, um, which is what ends up making it a cold case. I won't confirm or deny if any of that's true. And, you know, things along those lines, like the story of like these men in power not doing anything about some of the events that are unfolding within these institutions. And But it's also like a really great story because it also looks at the way that we tell these stories about women in these areas. You know, part of it is like this idea of like the fact that she's having an affair. Some people use that as a way to almost blame her. Um, some of it is about uh, whether or not she was like just trying to move ahead in the anthropology department potentially. Um, and it also talks about sort of like the general misogyny that happens within these institutions, and especially as you start to get higher and higher up the chain, and what people are willing to say and not willing to say and willing to do and not willing to do and stuff like that. Um, I feel like it's a really, really well done nonfiction book. Um, I will say like, if you pick up this book, it's gonna seem a little intimidating. Like I was very surprised when I picked up this book because it looks very long. And it is on the longer side, like it's over 400 pages, uh, but there's like 100 pages worth of notes <laughs> at the end of it, which tells you like how much research and how much work Becky Cooper did to try to really find out what happened. And then also, though, I just feel like because the story is so complex, Becky Cooper does a great job of like providing you with basically all of the information before telling you like what exactly really happened or, you know, kind of as she's going along and things like that. So I feel like even though it seems like it's a long book, like none of it really felt super bloated, in my opinion. Um, it all felt like super necessary and really just added to the complexity of the story itself. So if, again, if you're someone who enjoys these sort of true crime stories, I feel like this should definitely be a book uh, you have on your radar. And again, that's called We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. I am so glad to hear that that book is as good as it seemed, because I know we were really excited when it came out. Like, I actually put that book on a Christmas list that I gave. I can't remember which side of the family I gave it to. But I am really hoping now that I that someone gets it for me for Christmas. And if they don't, I still have $30 on a Barnes & Noble gift card from my birthday. And that will be the first book that I get if I don't get it for Christmas. Yeah, 100% worth it. Oh my gosh, I that, I am so excited for that one. 
All right, so my next pick, I won't spend too long on it because we have talked about this book a lot, but I can't let a Best of 2020 episode go by without mentioning it, and that is Winter Counts by David Hesco Wanbley Wyden. And we were, I know we were really excited just when this book was even first announced, like we didn't know anything about it, except that it was an own voices Native American thriller. And we were really excited because we're like, there really are not enough Native American thriller authors writing nowadays. And this book is so, so good. It follows Virgil Wounded Horse, who is what's known as an enforcer on his reservation in South Dakota, which basically means that when the uh, tribal police and the state police or local police are not able or willing to step in when a crime happens because there's it's there's confusion about jurisdiction or they don't have the resources or they just don't care enough. The people on the reservation turn to these enforcers, which is basically they're basically hired guns, except they don't they don't use guns. They use their fists and they just beat the living snot out of people who should have been sent to jail or fined or something along those lines. So Virgil Wounded Horse is basically hired to beat the living snot out of people. And he's very, very good at it. At the beginning of the book, he is asked to look into a problem where there seems to be large shipments of heroin making their way onto the reservation. And at first he says no, but then his nephew gets involved, his 14-year-old nephew, and then this becomes very personal. And so he agrees to assist the tribal council and find out where the drugs are coming from, who's bringing them in, how to make it stop. So that's the basic premise of the book. And it reads on the surface like a regular like a regular thriller about drug trafficking. But this book is such I have I have used this phrase before and I'm going to use it again. It is like a breath of fresh air in the thriller genre. The author incorporates well, he incorporates so many details of life on the reservation that it really gives the whole story a very different sense of place than we are used to reading about. But what's also really key is that things like the relationship or lack of cooperation between the tribal police and the state police and the lack of resources and assistance that Native Americans receive when they live on the reservation, that is so critical to the main plot of the story, that this is only a book that could have been written by a Native American author. And it just, it incorporates all different kinds of details of life on the reservation. There's like this subplot that has nothing to do with, that doesn't really have anything to do with the main drug trafficking plot. But there's a new person who comes onto the reservation and he's trying to teach the people how to basically forage from the land like their ancestors did. And so he makes what looks like like these gourmet recipes, but using native plants and wildlife that he can that he can harvest or that he can hunt on the reservation. And it's so interesting. And it just it this book just highlights how badly we need more authors with different perspectives who can bring light to some of to a lot of areas of modern life that we don't that we don't know enough about that we aren't aware enough about. I mean, it's important for our own knowledge, it's important for the genre just in general to bring these types of voices in and this book does it so well. So well. And this this is one that like everyone who reads it is talking about just how awesome it really is. So again, that is Winter Counts by David Heskowanbley-Wyden. Yeah, that one gets a hearty second for me as well. And really, really enjoyed that book. And like Katie was saying at the end, like the fact that he's able to provide this different perspective, like it felt like a breath of fresh air almost in this genre that uh, you don't really get a lot of time. So definitely, definitely recommend picking up that book if you haven't already. All right. So to kind of end I suppose our favorite episode, we thought that we would each do one backlist bump. So my pick is Shelter by Jung Yoon. And honestly, like this is one of my favorite books, like period of this year. I 
loved it so, so much. I think it came out back in like 2016, I want to say. Um, you are following this character named Kyung Cho, who lives in this, I think the story takes place around in like 2008, during like the height of the housing crisis and, you know, economic depression and things like that. Him and his wife, Jillian, have bought this house and are living beyond their means. And so the story begins with a real estate agent coming to the home and they're hoping to get like basically an assessment on their home or like, you know, a rough assessment on their home to try to figure out how much they can sell it for um, in order to deal with all of their debts and, you know, basically like the bad decisions that they've made financially. And while the real estate agent is there, they like look out the back window into the backyard, which like opens up into this big field. And they see this woman who is like really frazzled and completely naked. And Kyung realizes that it's his mom. And so he like runs out there with like a robe or something like that to like cover her up and help her out. And he realizes that she's like covered in like bruises and marks and all of this stuff. And she won't like say like what exactly happened. And so it turns out that like Kyung's parents live a couple of miles away in this really well-off neighborhood and something has kind of happened in the past and Kyung basically doesn't really talk very much to his parents. Um, But because of what happened, um, which is basically there, you you quickly find out that there was a burglary that actually happened at the house, um, at his parents' house. And the injuries that the mom sustained was from that situation. And because there was a burglary and things went really, really poorly, the parents end up moving into Kyung's house. And so this creates a significant amount of tension within this home, um, partially because like Kyung and his wife don't tell anyone else that they're having all of these financial troubles, partially because Kyung has a really difficult relationship with his parents. And part of it is because Kyung is pretty sure that something happened during this robbery um, and he's not finding out the whole truth. So uh, yeah, this is one of those very slow building suspenseful books, like that phrasing of like, the best way to kill a frog is to put it in like a pot of water and then like slowly increase the heat until it doesn't realize it's (laughs) boiling or whatever. However, that phrase actually goes that I butchered. Um, (laughs) That's what this book feels like, because like, it starts off kind of weird, but then you're like kind of reading this and then like the suspense just slowly builds and builds and builds. And the way that it concluded, like my mouth was hanging open. It was wild. It's a really wild ride, but it's like so well plotted and so well paced. And you can just like feel the tension building with every page and you have no idea how it's going to end at the end. So this is one of those books that I heard so many people raving about, like back when it first came out and I never picked it up until recently. And I'm so glad that I finally picked it up. So if you have not picked it up yet, I highly recommend it. And again, that's called Shelter by Zhang Yun. I am so glad that you mentioned that book because I now remember you talking about it previously, I think, but it slipped my mind and now it's put it back on my radar and that sounds so good. (laughs) All right, so my backlist pick is one that I read um, over the summer, The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. And like a lot of, or a couple of the other books on my list, this one is a crossover. It's suspense science fiction horror. And it, to me, this book really read like a cross between Annihilation and the movie The Descent, which is, oh my gosh, which is just like the perfect matching of things for me. But this book follows Jire, who cons her way into this cave expedition, this caving expedition on this planet uh, where she lives. And she thought it would be pretty standard like other expeditions she's been on. But she really wants the the big paycheck that come that comes with this. Unbeknownst to her, it, this is nothing like any of the missions that she's been on before. This is a very different kind of expedition. She is the only person on this expedition, and the person who she is in contact with while she is in the caves, she can communicate with this person whose name is M. She can connect with M through her specialized suit with the microphone and the the computerized readouts on her helmet. Um, she can connect with M, but M is really not telling her much. M is also 
in charge of controlling Jire's body with drugs, with withholding certain drugs. She might inject her with something because she's like, you need to rest. Jire says no, and Em's like, well, too bad. And this book is so claustrophobic. You only have the two characters. You have Jire and you have Em. And Jire is by herself, deep in this cave under the planet. And she doesn't quite know why she's there, except she's guessing that it's pretty dangerous. And there are all these things that she doesn't, she doesn't know about. This is a very dangerous expedition. And she's trying to avoid what this, this creature that lives in the caves called a, called a tunneler, which people know about, but it's like, you don't ever want to cross paths with a tunneler because you will inevitably be killed. And then on top of all of that, Jire has the sneaking suspicion that she is being followed in this cave where she thought she was the only human being. This book is so good. And I, I loved this book. Well, A, because, you know, it was fast paced. It was a great mix of science fiction and suspense and horror. But it also really, it didn't permanently bust me out of my reading slump that I've been in this year. But it really gave me a boost when I really needed it. I was having a, this this was, I was reading this right around the time I was dealing with a, um, one of our cats who was very sick, and I was very stressed out. And I just couldn't read or focus on anything. And this book, I think I was up till two in the morning finishing it. It just pulled me in. I could not keep the pages turning fast enough. So suspenseful, kept me on the edge of my seat, and I just loved it so much. And this was one of those books that I immediately went on Twitter and tweeted at the author. I was like, your book is so amazing. Um, But again, that is The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. And yeah, loved it so, so much. All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, And since it's my last episode, I guess like thanks so much to everyone for like the kind messages you've sent over the years and all of those things. Really, really appreciate it. And again, very sad to be leaving, but also very excited to see what Katie and everyone does here at Red or Dead. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great, especially me, because I know it was definitely a learning curve for me to learn how to do podcasting. Um, And you people listening at home probably have no idea, but Jen definitely does. Uh, For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us and discover us. If you want to send an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.